located in the heart of God, we find the very best of what the church has to offer the world. It is a forgiveness that restores, a forgiveness that heals, a forgiveness that transforms. But as good as it is, we can take the very best and twist it into the worst. That if we are not careful in how we talk about forgiveness, the forgiveness that we freely receive without merit, it can give us a false sense of always being right. The phrase that we used for this growing up that I learned along the way that's used by the church is that we have been justified by the grace of God. That we have been made right. That we are forgiven, which is good and true. But then it is easy for us to think that we might be justified in however we might treat others. Which is a danger as old as the gospel itself. It's where we find Peter. That Peter has this burning question. Because Jesus has just explained what to do when a brother or sister sins against you. That there should be conversation. There should be honesty. There should be accountability. But everyone should seek reconciliation. So Peter asks, How often then are we supposed to forgive? And Peter wanted to be very generous. I assume we forgive seven times, which is a reversal of what we read in Genesis 4.15, where it says, whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. That instead of a sevenfold vengeance, Peter proposes a sevenfold forgiveness. But Jesus says, no, not seven times. Seventy-seven times, which is a reversal of the verses we find just a little bit later in Genesis 4.24 where it says, If Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech will be avenged seventy-sevenfold. But the math is not as important as the point. As Eugene Boring says, if we're counting the number of times, then we're not really forgiving. And in case the math was confusing, Jesus then shares a parable. That there is this individual who owes 10,000 talents. A massive amount of money. A talent was the largest measure of money. In fact, the annual tax income for Herod the Great's territories 
collectively was about 900 talents. So 10,000 talents is an absurd number, but it makes the point that he's forgiven 10,000 talents, but he turns around and will not forgive the person who owes him 100 denarii, which was not a small amount of money. It represented 100 days' wages for an ordinary worker. But it pales in comparison to 10,000 talents. And the person forgiven 10,000 talents turns around and throws the person who owes him 100 denarii in jail. That if we are not careful in how we talk about forgiveness, we can end up feeling justified in however we might treat others. It is, as Lillian Daniels writes, in criticizing others in their faith, I hardly live up to the best in my own faith. The concept of forgiveness, though, far easier than its application, that we find this very interesting reversal in Paul's letter to the Romans, that Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, has worked so diligently to widen the table of the church to include Gentiles, leaving behind those old dietary restrictions that prevented community and created exclusion. But now, in Rome, we find a church where there is the majority of Gentile Christians. And there are those showing up to worship who still follow the old dietary restrictions that they will not eat meat if it has been sacrificed to an idol. And now they are the ones being judged. That the reverse is happening. So Paul begins to preach the same message, but in reverse. Do not judge those who do not eat meat, the people they call the weak. Do not exclude them as you were once excluded. That the point is the community of faith where the love of Christ is at its center. That if we have been forgiven 10,000 talents, why are we holding back forgiveness for those who owe a hundred denarii? That we cannot put God first by putting somebody else last. And one way that we practice forgiveness carefully 
is through empathy. That we find empathy in the heart of God and we find empathy as part of the ways of Jesus. That empathy softens our edges, invites us to listen, and eventually changes us. That empathy resists all of those labels that are used at times. Labels like we hear in the letter to the Romans, the weak and the strong, those who don't eat meat and those who do, are all of the labels that are used today that minimize and marginalize others. Where we are right and they are wrong. I received an email years ago from someone who was moving to Auburn I did not know them. They were just picking churches out of the phone book and sending emails and asking questions and just trying to determine where they might visit when they moved to town. And this email asked whether we were a biblically-based, conservative, evangelical, orthodox fellowship of believers. And I have to admit, I got a little lost in all the different labels. Biblically based, conservative, evangelical, orthodox, fellowship of believers. I kept hearing my 10th grade English teacher say, too many adjectives in one sentence. (laughs) And I have heard those questions in one way, shape, or form my entire life and I understand why they are asked but as I kept reading that sentence over and over again trying to parse out all the qualifiers and what they might mean I kept wondering to myself why are there some questions that we don't ask about the church that based on the forgiveness of God and on the ways of Jesus and the very best of what the church has to offer this world why don't we ask is this a patient church Is this a kind church? Is this an empathetic church? Is this a forgiving church? That based on the life of Jesus and on the love of Christ, those seem to be the most important questions we could ask. And if we ask those questions, we will never think that we are always right. 
Because those are the things we are always working towards that we never get perfect. That we are always learning how to do them by following Jesus. Where we know that we cannot put God first by putting somebody else last. Amen.